0: Thank you for visiting Crossland Community Church. We are located in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more information, please visit us online at COCchurch.com. Let's listen to one of our Sunday morning messages. We've been in a series for the last two weeks. We finish it up today. The series is called Take a Knee, and the message today is called Take a Knee. We've been reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, and we're going to start there again today before we get... um, into some other passages of scripture that we're going to take a look at. But Isaiah 61 says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. And then Isaiah 61 goes on to say that he will free us from bondage, from blindness, and free us for blessing. Here's what you need to understand this morning. God is for us. Okay, that's what you need to understand. God is for us. 700 years uh, after this particular text was written, Jesus walked the earth. He would come to a city that was his home city, the the city of Nazareth, and when he got to Nazareth, he would go to the temple. He would step up uh, to to teach as a rabbi would teach in Nazareth in 30 AD, and he would read those words again, and basically he would look at everybody and and say, today, as I've read this, history has been made because the one that Isaiah talked about is here, and in my reading this, uh, this passage of scripture is fulfilled. And he said, this is history. So Jesus took a step. Last week, we talked about the fact that Jesus would take a stand. And then today, uh, he's going to take a step for us all the way to the cross, and he will take a knee, which is what I want you to understand this morning. When, When you take a knee, life changes. Understand that. When you take a knee, life changes. Don't miss in what we're going to talk about this morning. There's a, there's, a, there's a really simple message embedded in what we're going to talk about this morning, and it can kind of be one of those deals where you can take this whole journey and miss the message. You can go all the way through this whole thing and not hear what was intended to be heard. Have you ever um, been looking for your sunglasses? You've looked all around the house for your sunglasses, can't find them anywhere, and you're asking your kids, where are my sunglasses? Has anybody seen my sunglasses? And, and if they're real smart Alex, they've seen your sunglasses. They're just not telling you where they are. <laughs> Has that ever happened? And then all of a sudden you figure out, oh, here are my sunglasses. It's one of those kind of things. Or if you're like me, I never lose my keys. I mean, I, well, I, in the office, I never lose my keys. I lose them at home all the time. But I'm, I'm here in the office. I'm getting ready to go somewhere. I cannot find my key to my car. And I'm looking all over the... I mean, how many places can it be in my office? If you've ever been in my office, you say, well, it would be easy to lose something in there. I mean, we, you know, we're not sure that there aren't live bod- uh, bodies stowed somewhere in there sometimes, but I couldn't find my car key. And so Tracy's like, Brett, what's, what's the matter? I was like, I can't find my car key anywhere. We looked all over the place. St- I had a jacket on, but I also had a, like a fleece on underneath that. It had pockets in it. Guess where I found my car key? It was in that pocket. It, it, it can be so obvious sometimes the thing that you're looking for and you can look right over it and not see it We don't want that to be the, the case this morning The point is this you could miss what sits right inside this story that we're going to look at this morning And at the core of it eternity changed With the taking of a knee I want you to look at Luke chapter 22 verse 41 Luke 22:41 Says he withdrew about a stone's throw talking about jesus he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, his disciples, and he knelt down and prayed. This is a really important moment for Jesus because he has come before the Father and he is about to step into that place where he will stand, where he was, that's why he came. And he's in a, he's in a very important place in his life. He's in an important place for all of human history. He's in that place where he will step into this place where he's going to stand and do what the Father has sent him here to do. And verse 23 says, he, he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. Yet not my will but yours be done. Notice two things here. First of all, he has taken a physical knee. He is physically on his knees, but he has also taken a knee spiritually. He has taken a knee to the Father, and he has said, you know what, this is what what I want. I'm surrendering my will to your will. I'm surrendering everything that, that that is in me to you. This is what I want, but right now, God, what I want isn't nearly as important as what it is that you want. And so, yes, I'm on my knees physically, but in my heart, I'm on my knees as well. And he declared in John 6, I have come to do uh, I've come down from heaven not to do my will but to do the will of him who sent me. Just ask let me ask you a question. Wh- what what are you here to do? Wh- what are you why are you here? What 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 whose will did you execute last week? Did you execute your will or did you execute the will of the Father? You know uh, another way to put that is whose song were you singing you know you drive around and you get certain songs stuck in your head sometimes those songs are you know it's the craziest things that we get stuck in our head if we watch television very much you get beer commercial songs stuck in your head and it's like why do I keep singing that crazy song or some silly kid song if you've got small children and you've ever watched um, I remember when my kids were smaller I don't know who sang this song but there was a song that they sang water water Everywhere we're gonna get wet. Have you ever heard that? I would just sing that over and over. I'm like, why am I singing that song? But the question would be this week, which, who have you been singing this week? Have you been singing some Adelaide Pollard? Or have you been singing Frank Sinatra? Have you been singing Have Thine Own Way, Lord? Or have you been singing I Did It My Way? Who, who's, whose song have you been singing this week? Whose will have you executed in the past week? For I have come down from heaven not to do my will but to do the will of him who sent me and this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all that he has given me but raise him up at the last day for my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day that is an incredible offer I want to read that last passage again. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Resurrection. In fact, His taking the knee set the stage for two things to happen. First of all, it set the stage for resurrection to happen, but beyond that, it set the stage for revolution to happen. We're going to talk about those two things this morning. It set the stage for resurrection. But beyond that, it set the stage for revolution. In other words, when Jesus Christ was crucified and put in the tomb, it did not end there. What what is our greatest fear? For most of us, I really think for all of us, if we were to boil it all down, what what we really fear, we fear dying. I mean, that's why we eat healthy. That's why we try to take care of our bodies. That's why we worry most of the time is because we're afraid something's going to happen. We really, we've, let's be honest, death is the great enemy. Death is the thing that we fear the most, the thing that we don't want to happen, the thing that we, we don't want to occur. And we fight diseases and we, you know, we try to you know, stay away from germs and we try to and live a life that will keep us living as long as we can. this unconquerable enemy that we seem to have, that we call death. He said to Adam and Eve, if you sin, you will surely die. Physically, you will die. Spiritually, you will die. Relationally, you're going to die. Eternally, you will die. This is serious business. Everything is on the line. I, see, I've been to funerals and, and I've done funerals. In the, last, in the last year, I've done funerals. And, and I've stood by caskets and wished that the person that I was doing the funeral for could rise up. They were friends of mine. They were people that mattered to me, that meant a lot to me. And I would look at them and I would just wish, I, I just wish that they weren't gone. Years ago, when I went to my grandmother's funeral, I remember standing there looking at her thinking, I wish she wasn't gone. But you know what? She didn't rise up that day this is serious stuff we're talking about this unconquerable enemy that we have called death and we've all been to funerals and we've all seen people laid out and we know that they are gone that they're not going to raise back up but in Jesus when they crucified him they put him in a tomb and then they went back a couple of days later and he's gone death has been defeated that is huge you see, this is the thing that we need to get fired up about because we, we hear that, we, you know, we come on, on Easter Sunday and it's, it's all about the resurrection, we hear about the resurrection and, and it, we just think that's such a big yawner. Listen, the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead is not a yawner. That's the only guy that's ever done that. This is a, a turning point in human history. This is the most significant moment of conquer that humankind has ever seen. And yet we can, you know, sometimes we treat the resurrection of Jesus like it's just, you know, like it's lunch. Oh, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. This is huge. This is the thing that our faith is built on. This is the one thing that separates Jesus from everybody else who claim to be God. The resurrection. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 20 if you have a Bible the first, pass, the first verse there, John chapter 20. Early on, the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. I want to kind of lay out for you, describe this tomb for you just a little bit. Most people think that the rock that was in front of it was some kind of boulder type thing. It really, wasn't, um, it really wasn't like that. I have some pictures I want to try and show you. This is a, a, somewhat, this is not the tomb of Jesus, but this is an idea of a first century tomb, of what it might have looked like. Um, we've got an, another couple of pictures. There's another one. You can see the, the disc-like uh, stone that would have been rolled away. And if you look down below there, there's a channel that that would sit in. And when they would seal up that tomb, they would roll that into place, and it would kind of sit. It was in a trough, kind of like your, um, your sliding glass door. Has. you can you can see it in there but when it w- and they would push that stone up and you can see where they've got it chalked with a the stone they would remove the stone they would let that roll down into place and then it would sit in a little valley and it would rest there we've got another picture I think this one's a real elaborate one it's got a little doorway and then the stone behind it but the same idea you can see that stone is about six and a half feet in diameter I don't know how much that thing weighs uh, but probably more than one person can move by themselves it probably took two or three people to do this and set this thing into place I'm going to show you a picture of what's inside maybe of, one, of a tomb there's a it would be an area where you would lay the body out they would call that a loculus and, and, and that's kind of what the inside of it we're, we know that the tomb of Jesus was, was a tomb wasn't his it was borrowed it was a tomb that, that was you know he was allowed to use and, and Joseph of Arimathea who was a fairly wealthy guy uh, we know from from the size of of some of the tombs in that day that some of the more wealthy people had not just one loculus but two, had uh, numerous places where people could be treated and, and uh, taken care of after they had been laid to rest. The tomb would have been sealed. And they would have, uh, but before they sealed it, they would have taken spices, they would have rub spices into the body and wrap the body up and Joseph of Arimathea donated about 100 pounds worth of spices so that that could be done with Jesus and then they would wrap the body and they would leave it in that place for a year and allow the body to completely decay then they would come back after about a year or a little more and they would have nothing but bones left and they would take those bones and they would put them in what they call an ossuary, it's a concrete box it would contain the bones, the remains of a person who'd passed away Because Jesus took a knee to the will of the Father, the Father raised him up. Isn't that true, really, even in the lesser areas of life? Isn't that true that that when you take a knee? Think about it. In, in In the normal course of human breakdown, at the point that someone takes a knee, everything changes. In in an argument If one person finally decides i'm going to take a knee I'm, not going to i'm not going to you know drive my stake in the ground and make this all about me and about what I want I'm going to yield i'm going to give everything changes Everything hinges on on the person who is willing to take a knee if you've got a marriage that is combative You know as well as I do that there are times that if you're in a marriage that's combative, nothing's going to change unless somebody takes a knee. Jesus rose from the dead by this amazing power. And and you would think, you know, my goodness, if if God could do this, if if he could resurrect uh, someone from death eternally, and God can restore us relationally, and God can, can restore relationships, and, and God can raise up purposeless lives. If God can, can do all that, then why, why aren't we embracing him? Why don't we just run to him with all of our, uh, all that we are and just say, Lord, you know, you, you have all this power to do all these amazing things. You can heal us in every way imaginable. Perhaps that it's that we're too much like our own kids. Our kids get a little confused sometimes, don't they? Our kids get confused as to how to get the life that they really long for. And and if you're a teenager, you need to lock into me right now, because I'm gonna I'm gonna make your life really easy if you'll just listen to me for just a minute. And I'm gonna say something that your parents are trying to say to you, and you're not hearing them. But but I'm gonna say it, and hopefully you'll hear me say this. I, I've had conversations with my kids. I, I have these conversations a lot where I say, Do you understand? That that if you would just do things a little differently than you're doing them, and you would show a little respect, and and you would show a little just, you know, supply that word. I'm not sure what that word is. Gumption? I'm not sure what word I want to throw in there. But if if you would just try and meet us a little bit, the whole world would open up for you. So many of these things that you want to happen That you seem to fight us for If you would just change your tack Just a little bit a lot, of the, a lot of the world would open up for you You see I'm not against my kids My kids sometimes think that I'm against them Because the way they approach things And the way they go about things I can't bless the, the things that they do sometimes Not the way they go about it But when my kids are affectionate Respectful Loving Loving Cooperative that's when they get the things that they have always longed for so if you're a teenager listen to me There are certain things that you want from your parents There are certain things that you you want them to do for you and that you want that There are certain ways that you want them to look at you I'm telling you that if you will just change the way you approach them If you will treat them with a little dignity and a little respect you would be amazed At the difference in your life and even as I say that, I'm watching parents go. Because I think we're, we're st- we've stumbled on a conversation that we've all had, right? It, it always amazes me that my kids think that by resisting me, they can get what they want. That, that somehow, do, do they not understand that when they resist me, they lose? That, that really, you know, they may hold some cards, but at the end of the day, mom and dad hold all the cards... And that when you resist mom and dad, the things that you really want are the things that they are able to provide or able to give. And if you've not done it right, those things will be withheld. What makes them think that if they resist me, I'm going to give to them? Some of us have been resisting our Heavenly Father our whole lives. And I would ask you the question, what do you think you're really winning by doing that? When Jesus came, he came among religious people. People who were religious on the the outside, but on the inside were very resistant. That's, That's who Jesus came into. You see, it's easy to come into a place like this and take a seat on Sunday morning. It's easy to do that. It is an entirely different thing to come in here and take a seat physically and take a knee spiritually. To walk in and say, Lord, I am completely bowed to you. You're in charge. You're sovereign. I will not resist you any longer. Many of us could testify, yeah, I've walked into a church and I've taken a seat many times. And I've also taken a seat with a heart that was not taken a knee The question is have you taken a knee? I always get tickled whenever I have conversations with people and and i'm you know the first words out of my mouth Whenever I meet someone new is not always hello. My name is brett wilson. I'm a pastor Uh, I find that conversations go a little better if that's not the first thing that comes out of my mouth Hi, i'm a pastor. It's pretty good on an airplane uh, pretty good then if you want to be left alone You just tell them you're a pastor and they don't want to have anything to do with you, you know They just back right off. It's like, okay, i'm gonna leave you alone Great. I've got a great book over here. I was planning to read But every now and then whenever I w- whenever someone finds out what I do for a living they'll you know They it's it's interesting how I get responded to Sometimes depending on the circumstances if i'm playing ball the the the, the, the kind of the response I get is you're you're a pastor But from time to time, when someone finds out that I'm a pastor, what I get a lot is, oh, you're a pastor. I'm Catholic. <laughs> I'm Baptist. I'm Methodist. I'm Presbyterian. I'm whatever they are, they, they feel compelled to tell me. You know, like either those are the magic words to get me to not preach at them, or those are the magic words to let me know they're in. You know, it's okay. I'm one of you. I'm, you, know, I, you don't have to say anything. Don't try to convert me. You know, don't try to get me to come to your church because I go to a Baptist church or I go to a Catholic church or whatever. Do they not understand that the only thing that matters to me and really the only thing that matters, period, is whether or not we have taken a need? doesn't matter what the label is. doesn't matter what, kind of, what the name is on the outside of the church you go to. You see, I don't don't know whether you're Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or Episcopalian or Catholic. I don't know what you are. doesn't matter what kind of church you go to and what they say on the outside. If you walk into that building and you physically sit and take a seat and you're not taking a knee, you've got a problem with the Father. This is about taking a knee. This is about a heart that says you are in charge and I am not. It's not, are you spiritually awakened and are you thinking about God? It's, it's, have you taken a knee to the will of God? And do you wake up every morning trying your best to do the things that God's calling you to do? And some could spend their whole lives in places like this, taking a seat. And everyone assumes that they've taken a knee. And they haven't at all. The resurrection made it possible because Jesus took a knee, and God raised him from the dead. And it launched a revolution. It changed world history. A revolution because everything will one day boil down to nothing. Governments, businesses, trophies, all of your labors, Everything that you have worked so hard for, one of these days is all going to boil down to nothing. It will be so much like the morning dew that by the time the afternoon sun hits and burns it off that it's forgotten. And all that will remain will be what God has invited us to join, which is the raising of his kingdom. The revolution that we are invited to is this revolution to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, to make sure that people experience that, to make sure that people, as they go through life, come into contact with the living God through us. This kingdom will eventually take place. We we had uh, an event here Friday night. We had an Emmaus gathering Friday night, and one of our guitar players, Dave Riesenbeck, was wearing a t-shirt that had uh, Christianity is not a religion on it. Well, I like that a lot. I mean, I saw that, and I I told him, I said, man, I I like that T-shirt a lot. Lisa Watson was standing here, and she said, you know, it puzzled her because she she looked at me, and she said, Brett, I thought Christianity was a religion. Here's the difference. Religion is about human spirit and human power. Religion is about what you can do on your own. It's about how you do it. Religion is about you getting it right. It's about you making a name for yourself. It's about you doing the right things um, to achieve whatever it is that you're trying to make happen. Revolution is all about Holy Spirit power. There's a world of difference. We, We have all kinds of religion in our country. We have human spirit raised up and at work at its finest, at its best. But the the distinction is that where the Holy Spirit indwells you, you become a possessed person. You take a knee. You are completely yielded because God restored you and redeemed you, reformed you, and now indwells you. You have the power of God That is how Peter was able to stand in the moment. See, Peter had an opportunity to stand at one point, and he didn't do it. We talked about that. We talked about the fact that Peter had this chance to really stand with Jesus, and he didn't do it. But you see, the problem is that at the time he had that chance to stand, Christ hadn't died, the resurrection hadn't happened, and the Holy Spirit hadn't come. But in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, The church got launched and the Holy Spirit was unleashed And it filled people And now they had the power from on high and that is How they live their life as a new creature that's how we live life now when you come to christ You get the spirit inside you and that's how you were able to overcome a lot of the stuff that before you weren't able to overcome We talk about being born again. I mean when I remember when jimmy carter was president They talked about the president who was born again, and that was the big term born again. Everybody was born again the whole point was that you became a new creature. You see, Christianity is not about you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Christianity is about you looking at God and saying, you know what, I can't pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm not good enough to do this on my own. You know, a lot of people think that, that being a Christian is all about trying to impress God. Like you can do something that would impress God. What, what really Christianity is about is confessing, I can't impress God. There's nothing I can do. I'm not good enough on my own to, to, to impress God, to make God go, wow, did you see what he did? You can't make it on your own name. The only way you're going to make it is on the name of Jesus, and under that name, God gives you the power to please Him. It's a revolution, and when all this was launched, Peter stood up and he spoke. Early on in the in the history of the church, Peter spoke in Acts chapter two, and the things that happened after Easter, after the resurrection, when Christ uh, revealed that He was the living Savior, He'd risen from the dead, and He spoke to the disciples. And and he'd given them instruction and he told them to wait in the upper room and they waited and the Holy Spirit came. All that stuff happened. And now crowds began to gather and, and hear the message of Christ. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, Peter begins to speak. I want you to hear this. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles. Keep in mind, this is the same guy that, that some days earlier Had denied Christ. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. We skip down to verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? That is a great question. What shall we do? Peter's response, verse 38. If you've been in the church for very long, you've heard this passage a thousand times. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. What's in a name? You ever asked yourself, Why people decide to use the name of Jesus as a cuss word you ever wondered why people profane and curse using the name of Jesus or using the name of God ever wondered why all the other names that that there are for other gods aren't used in our culture as a cuss word because when you use those other words, you really don't even feel like you've cussed. Try it. Oh, Buddha. (laughs) There's no punch in that, is there? You know? It just doesn't work. You know why? Because that's not the exalted name. That's not the high and holy name. There's something in the name And that's why when people Want to profane Something They go for a name with power in it It's only when they use the name That is above all names That actually has power That you have actually profaned the sacred Don't look past this It's no accident In our culture That there's only one consistently profaned name. That's not an accident. And God gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess under heaven and on the earth and under the earth. That Jesus Christ is the Lord. To the glory of God the Father. It is the name that changed everything because he took a knee and the father raised him up and a revolution began and the question is what now must we do that's a great question what do you do now repent and be baptized Peter said every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, what, what does it mean to repent? I mean, what, what is that? When you repent, what you, it literally means to change your mind. I'm not sure. I, I probably shouldn't do this, but I'm going to take a stab. I'm pretty sure that, that repent in Greek is metanoia, and that word means to change, to, to, to literally be walking in one direction and then to turn and walk the other direction to change your mind you see you're riding on somebody's name this morning you're either riding on your own name and you're trying to make it in the world on your own name and it's all about you and what you can do and what you can accomplish and how good you can be and and that you can get God to notice you because you've been so good that's one way to go about it but that's not repentance repentance Do you really want to ride on your own name? You really want to let everything stand on your name? Because here's what's got to happen in order for you to impress God, in order for God to stop and go, wow. Check out Brett. You've got to be perfect, without blemish, without stain, not one mistake. You've got to nail it cold every time. If you're riding on your name, that's what has to happen. But when you repent and say, I turn from my resistance and I take a knee and not my will, but your will be done. And I take a knee and I ask forgiveness for my sins. That's different. Repent and be baptized. What, you know, why be baptized? Baptism is an outward symbol of this internal spiritual work that god has wrought within us the water in some ways represents this this uh cleansing you know just as repentance is this spiritual cleansing on the inside the water is almost like a a symbolic cleansing of the outside it's just a you know it it represents the whole process of what god's doing with you it, it, it points to a person, and what it says is this person has taken a knee. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're just understanding for the very first time, and maybe a preacher's never said this to you, but and if so, you need to hear this real clear. God is not against you. You're the apple of God's eye. He loves you. He's not opposed to you. He's not resisting you. He's not waiting for you to mess up so that he can squash you like a bug. People go through life thinking, God's going to get me. Just hear this really clearly. If God wants to get you, he'll get you. He's all-powerful. He can do that. He could have done that 20 years ago or 10 years ago or 10 days ago. God's big, and he's strong, and he knows where you are, and if he wants to, he can get you. Here's what you need to understand. God loves you so much that he did not withhold his only son, but introduced him into a world that was hostile, that would not understand that would eventually take his life and abuse him in an unbelievable way. Maybe this is the first day that you've ever been called to take a knee, that you've ever been sa- had someone say to you, you know what you need? You need to repent. You need to change your mind. You need to stop trying to ride on your own name because if you think, you know, you ask people, How are you going to go to heaven? Well, I think I'm going to go to heaven. Why do you think you're going to go to heaven? Well, because I'm a pretty good person. So we're talking about eternity and you think you're going to get there because you're a pretty good person. Does that sound kind of crazy to you? That's the best we can do? I think I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a pretty good person. Don't you want more than that? Don't you want to be able to look at a cross and say faith in that assures that I will go to heaven and I will repent and I will take a knee I'll take a need of my will, and I'll understand that there's someone who knows a little bit more about this than me. How long will you resist? Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard a message like this. Maybe it's the hundredth time. In just a minute, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a little bit. I kind of want to explain to you what's going to happen. We're going to Uh, Because if you've noticed, we've done things a little differently. I'm up here a little earlier this morning than I normally am. We didn't take communion beforehand. We're going to do that at the end. and We'll get to all that. But before we do, we're going to stand and sing in just a minute. And we're going to, that's your opportunity if you've never given your life to Christ. To come forward and make a decision for Christ. I don't know if you've ever had someone explain to you what being a Christian is all about. But it's not about trying to be good. Christianity is really not about your performance. Because here's a newsflash for you. You cannot behave well enough to get to heaven. The only way it works is that you fall, you know, spiritually speaking, you fall flat on your face and you confess to the Lord, I can't do it. My only hope is you. When Jesus Christ died on a cross and they took his body down and they put him in a tomb, And they went back some days later, two days, three days later, and they looked inside, and he was gone, raised by the power of God. That same power can be yours through the Holy Spirit when you give your life to Christ. If you've never done that, we're going to give you a chance to stand and sing in just a moment. We're going to sing a little bit. If no one comes forward, we're just going to transition right into a time of communion. Kyle will lead us to that point, and uh, we're going to sing just a little bit after that, worship some. And then we'll be dismissed for our Easter morning, okay? Let's pray together. Father, there is a real temptation on our part to live life in such a way that we are trying to impress you. I think all of us at one time or another kind of gets lured into this idea that I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm behaving well that if I'm behaving well, then I must be pleasing to you. And certainly, Father, our good behavior probably does put a smile on your face, but it doesn't make you love us any more, any more than our behaving badly makes you love us any less. You cannot love us more, and you will not love us less. And so we come this morning and we find ourselves in this place where we so desperately want to behave in a way that makes you happy, understanding that so much of the time we don't make you happy in terms of how we live life. What makes you happy is our total dependence on you. What really puts a smile on your face is when we, like our own children, stop resisting and stop trying to run and fight, but we just finally say, you know what, Mom, Dad, you're right. When we look at you, Father, and we say, you're right, and I've been running too long, and I've been fighting you for too long, and there's been too much resistance, and what I want to do in this moment and in this hour is just take a knee. And God, it's highly possible that this morning in this room, someone has never given their life to Christ, and that that needs to happen highly possible and I pray Lord that that would happen but Father it's also very very possible that there are people who gave their life to Christ a long long time ago and they've been walking into church and physically taking a seat but they have never in their heart taken a knee and this morning just before you and they won't be in front of anybody else it'll just be a heart thing between them and you they will say Lord I take a knee I take a knee not my will but your will be done So, Father, certainly we pray for someone to come and give their life to Christ. Absolutely we pray that. But beyond that, Father, we pray that we all might be found in a place this morning where we take a knee to you because you are holy and you are righteous and you are the only one perfect and you love us and you saved us. Thank you for that, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. We hope you've been encouraged. Please feel free to visit us online at clcchurch.com.